You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. Each week, a member of our staff shares a Devo, talking through a piece of our mission, vision, and culture. This is that Devo. Let's check it out. Well, it is great to be able to gather here and be able to hang out um, as a staff. And hopefully got something here that's um, going to be helpful. Someone who was on my mind a little while ago, and I finally had a chance to um, get my thoughts down on paper and share. So um, happy to be able to do so. Um, there was... Uh, long time ago now. I, it was when I lived in England, so it's at least sort of 16, 17 years ago, something like that. And um, they invited a pastor from my church to go and be a part of a um, Q&A panel um, for high school students. High school students would be in the audience, and they'd have this panel of clergy and ministers and things. Um, and then they would sort of take questions regarding the things of faith. And none of the pastors from the church could go. So then they asked all the elders, and none of the elders could go. And then they asked all the life group leaders, and other life group leaders could go. And then finally, they said, Tom, can you go? <laughs> and I leapt at the chance to go. And so here I am. I'm tw- you know, 20, 21. I have no idea what's going on. I'm you know, relatively new Christian, but man, I had passion. And uh, they said, um, one of the questions was, who's your hero? And I was the first one to respond. And so I didn't even blink. I said, who's your hero? I said, Bob Dylan. And the guy next to me is like, Give me one of those, like, what are you on about? Kind of looks at his eyes, and then he was next, and he says, well, I'm going to say Jesus. I was like, shh, that was the right answer. <laughs> but of course, we know that the hero of the Bible is Jesus. That is the hero of the Bible. He is the hero of the Bible. The Old Testament points to him. The book of Galatians says that the Old Testament, the law, it prepares us for Jesus. It sort of shows us our need for a Savior, our need for Jesus, so that when he comes, the whole Old Testament has set us up so that we can say, yes, we desperately need a Savior. Thank God he's here. Like that's the whole point. The whole Bible points to Jesus. He truly is the hero of the Bible. But of course, if we were to ask people, who is your favorite biblical figure? Who's your favorite biblical character? Who's a hero of yours in the scriptures? Aside from Jesus, you may still get a wide range of answers. Many, many people would say Paul the Apostle. And that's not a foolish answer. God used Paul to spread the gospel all over the Roman Empire. He used Paul to establish churches and, of course, to write 13 letters that we have today in the New Testament. There's a fair argument to be made that the way God used Paul is more significant than any other human being throughout history. Paul's story is dramatic. We first meet Paul when um, you know, he's present and appears to be presiding over the stoning of Stephen. Paul then goes on to go on a violent rampage against the church. The Bible says that he was dragging people out of their houses and throwing them into prison. It says that he was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. And Paul's reputation was certainly spreading and the believers were correct about the fear that they had of Paul and his companions. But then Paul went to Damascus. And he went there with the intention of arresting as many believers as he could. And on the way, he had the encounter that we've heard about so many times. A bright light knocked him off his horse. And then a voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul then commits to following Jesus and begins preaching and teaching people all about the risen Messiah. But between Paul getting knocked off his horse and starting his ministry, Paul had a meeting with someone. And if we were to ask other believers who their favorite biblical character is, I doubt anybody would say this man. But this was a man that God used to change history. And this man is Ananias. We're going to be in um, Acts 9, starting verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. 
But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is indeed the son of God. And just like that, we never hear about Ananias again. We never hear about Ananias again, but just from this short encounter we have with this man, we can learn a number of invaluable lessons. The first thing, he went scared. He went scared. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, how many but Lord moments have you had? How many times have you felt that there's a right thing to do? There's a kingdom business you need to be about. There's a mission that's been put in front of you. There's an assignment that the Lord has given you. But God, and it's worth recognizing and acknowledging, this is not an irrational fear. When fear is irrational, I can oftentimes sort of lose my patience. And this happens a lot in parenting. You know, the kids are kind of afraid of something they shouldn't be afraid of. I say, will you just get in there, you wimp? You know, this happens all the time. <laughs> Megan's a lot gentler than that. And by the way, I'm never like that with Esther. That's always like, oh, baby, it's okay. But that's another story. But when a fear is irrational, it's easy to dismiss and it's easy to just kind of like, oh, come on, get over it. But when a fear is rational, like Ananias, I think that's something that we should distinguish as something different. And I think that is something that each and every one of us can identify with. Where there's something in front of us, there's something scary that we have to do. There's something scary that we're called to. And it's not scary because of a misunderstanding. It's not scary because of an illusion. It's not scary because of a misunderstanding. No, no, no. This is a very real threat that people are up against. And our example from Ananias is go anyway. Is go anyway. And this leads us to the second thing that we want to look at. And the second thing is he went into a prepared place. He went to a prepared place. Ananias, he was scared, I would say for good reason. But he didn't go into a place that was untended to. He didn't go into a place where the Lord had not gone before him. Quite the opposite, he went to a prepared place. A strange example that um, came to me as I was thinking about this morning is something my dad told me a long time ago. Um, in the story of Jonah, so Jonah is thrown over the side of the boat, swallowed by the fish, and for three days he's in the fish, and then he prays. And as he prays, that's when the fish spits him up onto the land. Now go with me here. From where he was thrown overboard to where he was spat up on the land, the fish had to swim for three days. And then he prayed. The fish was already getting him to safety before Jonah ever prayed. Preparing, getting it ready, God working behind the scenes, God fulfilling his plans and purposes without any human involvement from us, without us doing our best. And that picture from Jonah of Jonah's thrown over the side and for three days just anxious, you know, depressed and furious and angry and all sorts. I'm sure there's all kinds of emotions going through Jonah's mind. And then he gets to the point of, okay, now I'll pray. Little did he know that for the previous three days, God has been answering the prayer that hasn't been prayed yet. I give my dad credit for that one. But that's a picture of God preparing a place in front of us. God was preparing Paul 
this murderer, <laughs> this guy that was trying to drag Christians out of their homes and throw them into prison, someone that was going to Damascus, was going to Ananias' hometown with the express purpose of finding Ananias and his friends so he could drag them back to Jerusalem and throw them in prison there. That's the guy you want me to go see. But God has prepared a way. God has knocked him off his horse. Scales were covering his eyes, and he was ready to go in his next step in his faith. God prepared a place. The second thing, or sorry, the third thing, Ananias was a link in the chain. Ananias was a link in the chain. Part of the Lord's instructions to Ananias was, Saul is my chosen instrument. He was a link in the chain. Ananias, you are not my chosen instrument. Saul is but I'm going to send you to help join the dots. You are a link in the chain. The important call from God was not about Ananias. The one that was going to go and was going to shape human history wasn't Ananias. It was Paul the apostle. And the call that Ananias had that day, that part of being a link in the chain, was that Paul needed to be cared for in these early moments of his salvation so that he can be launched into the calling that would change human history. Now, we have no way of knowing what would have happened if Ananias would have refused to have gone and ministered to Paul. We don't know what would have happened if Ananias would have sat there and said, you know what, I'm scared, I'm not going, I'm not playing this game, I'm done. We have no idea of what would happen. We do know what happened because he did. Ananias was used by God to change the world because he was the one God sent to minister to Paul to pray for him, to see him filled with the Holy Spirit and to be baptized. There's a, um, a portion in Philippians that talks about uh, if you support me financially, if you are a part of supporting the ministry, it will be credited to you. It will be credited to you. If you will support me financially, if you will come alongside me in ministry, if you will help support me, Paul was in prison at the time, basically, if you will help me stay alive in prison, God will credit any ministry that comes out of my life to you. What does that say about Ananias in the Lord's eyes? You went, you ministered to Paul any good that Paul has done, Ananias, I see your part in that. All we get from Ananias is 11 verses, never to be spoken of again. As far as I know, nobody names their baby Ananias. As far as I know, whenever you ask people, who's your favorite biblical hero? Nobody says Ananias. But the Lord looks at him and looks at his obedience, that part of being linked in the chain and says, the Lord used you to change the world because you were obedient. You cared for Paul, despite having really, really good reasons to be afraid. You went. You ministered to him. You were there. You prayed with him. You were there as scales fell off his eyes. You were there as he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You were there as he was baptized. And from there, Paul just launched on into ministry that we all know changed the world. Fourth thing, Ananias, he shared vision. He shared vision. This is Jesus talking again to Ananias. Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. Ananias, he's presented, uh, and he's told to present to Paul a different vision than what he's experienced. Paul, is, it, it, his expectation of life was, I'm going to go and I'm going uh, to go and keep everyone in order, and I'm going to violently oppose this new way that I'm hearing all about. And then God sent someone and said, no, 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 Paul, you need a new vision. I'm going to send Ananias, and you guys are going to talk it out, and he's going to be there for you as you're figuring this all out. He, prepared, he went and presented a new vision that today isn't how the future is going to look, that the future can look dramatically different than how things are today. I would even go as far as to say that Ananias, I believe he put hopes and dreams and godly ambition in front of Paul. And that question to us is, how can we help broaden people's thinking? How can we help people dream big dreams? How can we encourage people to pray big prayers? Ananias. He went scared, but he went to a prepared place. He was just a link in the chain, but he had a shared vision, and he went and he shared that vision with Paul. So for you and for I, 
Let's do scary things. God's calling is typically daunting. David against Goliath would agree. Moses leading a nation out of captivity would agree. His calling is often daunting, but we go to a prepared place. He's gone before us. He's made a way. He's figuring it out. He's answering the prayers even before we've had the awareness to pray them. He is working behind the scenes. And find our place in the chain. Whatever part we play, we need to have a confidence that God is using it to change lives. Whether there's a platform, a microphone, whether we're on TV or not, it, we have to believe it doesn't matter. As long as we're being obedient and we're taking our place as a link in the chain, God is using it to change lives. The truth is, it's very, very rare that someone is renowned after their lifetime. It's very unusual for someone to be remembered 100 years after they died. That's not the goal. The goal is to be faithful in being that link in our chain and to help people lift their eyes and get a strong sense of vision that tomorrow can be better than today, that there is a future in front of us and that God has plans and purposes and he is working in all of it. Lord Jesus, Lord, can we learn something from Ananias' example? Lord, his obedience is he's there and you spoke to him. And despite being scared, he went only to find that you had prepared a way. You'd already knocked Paul off his horse. And Lord, that he would go and that even though no statues are built of Ananias, even though no one's naming their kids after him, Lord, you would use him to set Paul on his way. And that Paul would indeed become, want to become a true hero of the faith. But Lord, that man's obedience was a key part. And Lord, just as Ananias went and refreshed the vision that you had for Paul's life, Lord, may we go and we share vision with people. May we encourage the people to dream big and to think big and to have big ambitions and to seek you for all that you have for them. Lord, we need your help in all of this. May we learn something from Ananias today. In Jesus' name, amen.